الحمد لله الحمد لله وكفى والصلاة والسلام على عباده الذين اصطفى أما بعد فأعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم يا أيها الذين آمنوا من يرتد منكم عن دينه فسوف يأتي الله بقوم يحبهم ويحبونه أذلة على المؤمنين أعزة على الكافرين يجاهدون في سبيل الله ولا يخافون لومة لائم ذلك فضل الله يؤتيه من يشاء والله واسع عليم وقال النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم صوموا عاشورا وخالفوا اليهود صوموا يوما قبله أو يوما بعده أو كما قال النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم Most respected students of deen, mothers and sisters Today is the very Mubarak day of Ashura the 10th of Muharram perhaps many may be fasting as well we discussed Ashura the significance and the lessons last week but today being the very day of Ashura itself the thought was that we should revise the lessons that we have already discussed and perhaps expand on a few things and therefore that is the theme again for this week some of you may have kept a fast yesterday and are fasting today as well some are fasting today but will be fasting tomorrow together with today and the reason for this is something we have discussed in detail last week the hadith of rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam when nabi sallallahu alaihi wasallam instructed the sahaba ikram that do fast on the day of Ashura but oppose the Yahud oppose their way that they are fasting on this day but we will fast on two days so we are not resembling them even outwardly so this outward resemblance also was broken now this is the thing that we need to very deeply reflect on very often we hear many things we talk about many things but we don't reflect upon it and as a result it doesn't become part of our life it doesn't become part of our amal because it is something that's just on the surface we read about it we heard about it and that's where it finished but to reflect and to bring this deep down into our hearts and lives that is the requirement So regarding this aspect that Nabi sallallahu alaihi wasallam did not even allow the outward resemblance to be there though the instruction to fast was not because of the Jews this was being done even before Nabi sallallahu alaihi wasallam became aware of the Jews fasting but the outer resemblance was also not maintained This is something which is a very deep lesson It's a lesson to maintain the islamic identity at all times and for a person to remain firm 
in maintaining one's Islamic identity, in maintaining one's Islamic beliefs, one's practices, one's identity, all these things are to be guarded very, very well. There must not be any interpolation of any sort. There must not be anything from outside that comes and mixes up with what is the way that Allah Ta'ala has given us, what Rasulullah has taught us. Nothing must get mixed up in it. Because when something starts getting mixed up, then it starts contaminating. And in a short while it starts dominating. And after some time you can't even make out what the original was. For example, if you take the Christians, they allowed some kind of little interference in their Bible initially. Little but well, just some small minor little adjustments here and there. As a result, things continued and today it is very, very dis- difficult to distinguish even one verse perfectly that this was part of the original and this was something that was brought in later. They also accept and acknowledge that there was so much of changes made. So they have this version and that version and uh, the new version and the old version and so many different types and they all differ so drastically from each other also. So all this happened when this mixing was allowed. And when this is not allowed, then the way of Islam becomes dominant over others. If you look at the Sahaba Ikram, that they traveled far and wide. They came up to North Africa and they went to various other parts of the Middle East and so on, up to Sham, Syria and all the way down to Africa. Now if you look at North Africa, there are many, many countries there where the official language is Arabic. Now where did this come from? How did the official language become Arabic? When the Sahaba came, they were a limited number, small group. Initially, they came and then maybe few more came over time. But that small group who were far outnumbered in number by the locals must have been one to a hundred, maybe one to a thousand. One to a hundred definitely was not the case. It might have been one to many thousand. The number of Sahaba, for each Sahabi there must have been tens of thousands of the locals. And they were now living in this environment where they were a complete minority. But they made such an effort, they worked so hard, that in time the official language also became Arabic. They changed the whole face of the place. Now this is the lesson that we are to take, that what an effort they made, they didn't allow, even being a minority, they didn't allow anything of that local population to get mixed up into their deen, into their ways, into their habits, into their lifestyle, in their thinking. They dominated. 
they overcame, they overpowered. Overpowered in the sense that their way of life now became the way of life of others. Unfortunately, we have borrowed so much from others that in some instances you can't make out what is the original here, whether the person is a Muslim or not, whether this function is a function of a Muslim or not. Now this is the lesson. Many a times we look out at others and we get impressed by what we see outside because we don't know what we have or we don't know the value of what we have. Because of the deception that is created out there, we get duped also. The famous story that we have discussed on previous occasions about one person went to live in one place somewhere and it was a very strange sight that he saw that everybody's nose, the tips of their noses were cut off. So everybody's walking with this kind of cut nose. Now over time, he is the only odd one there. So to say odd in inverted commas. He is looking odd. Why? Because his nose is perfect. He's got a perfect nose. He's looking odd in this environment of people with their cut noses. So now one day when, two days when, one week, two weeks, eventually, he also started feeling odd about himself. That everybody is looking at him in a funny way. So what he decided to do, he went and had his nose cut also. Now in Urdu, they say, Uski naak kat gai. That is a figure of speech when a person has disgraced himself or he, he was humiliated by somebody. So then they say, Uski naak kat gai. He felt embarrassed, he felt disgraced, or he was humiliated. So this is what this person did. He went and nakkadi. He went and cut his nose, meaning he also went and disgraced himself, humiliated himself. But now he came in the community. So everybody had a cut nose. He's also got a cut nose. He was looking very, very much like them. So he was feeling now very comfortable. Feeling very much at ease that now I am like everybody else. But what he did in the rea- in, in reality, in reality, he also disgraced himself and humiliated himself like they were. But they are regarding themselves as very honorable. Because a person who is like a mad person for that matter, a person who is mad, he doesn't regard himself as mad. He regards himself as very intelligent. And if you tell him that you're mad, he'll reply to you, you are mad. You calling me mad? What's wrong with you? You are mad. That is what he'll say. One person, it was one of the presidents of Pakistan. So he was taken on a tour of the mental hospital, the asylum. So now when he came to the asylum, so they started just taking him. Now he's the president. So they take him around. So they came to one person who is in the mental hospital there, one patient. So the patient asked this president that, who are you? So the president, now he replied, he said, I am the president of Pakistan. So that patient said, don't worry, you'll come right. When I came also, I also used to say the same thing. You'll come right also. So the president of Pakistan he, the patient told him that you are also just like me. You are mad like me also. 
When I came, I also was saying the same thing. So don't worry, you'll come right also. You'll also get cheated here. That was just on the side. In any case, the point is that any mad person regards himself as very intelligent. And if somebody calls him mad, he thinks that that person is mad. So the same thing is with all these ways of the West and all these ways of fashion and the lifestyle that is far away from Deen. This is total disgrace. It is humiliation. It is something that leads to destruction in dunya and obviously in akhirat. But those who are in it, they are now caught up in this madness. And when they are caught up in this madness, they look at others who are safe from it as mad. Those who are not caught up in this madness, they look at them in a very suspicious manner. They look at them as if they are gone mad. And they will therefore call them names. They will call them all kinds of titles, demeaning titles. And they will try to put them down, make them feel insecure, make them feel worthless. All this will carry on. Now, the intelligent person is the one who recognizes the madness of the madman and doesn't get caught up in that and doesn't even pay attention to it. Now, if you know somebody is mad, that person is walking down the road and he's making a big noise and so on, or he's calling you by various names, you just ignore it because this person is not in his friend, correct frame of mind. He's not in the correct frame of mind. He's got a mental problem. So you just ignore it and carry on. If somebody starts engaging an insane person, then that is that person's fault. Who starts engaging an insane person is that person's fault. Because you don't engage an insane person. So in any case, the point is that those who are stuck in this fashion and in all this lifestyle of the West all the evils that go with it there's a whole culture there's a whole lifestyle for example part of this lifestyle and culture is that you've got to be dressed in a certain way with all kinds of immodest dressing then you are okay this culture is that there must be no segregation of males and females it must be all free for all and as a result whatever evils will then take place that's part of the package that's part of this culture then in this culture all kinds of illicit and haram relationships is the norm so at whatever level whether it's just communicating with some non-maharam talking to some boy or chatting with him through the email and SMSs and whatever else, the chat lines. So this is part of that culture. In that culture this is regarded as perfectly normal. Forget normal, it is abnormal if a person is not caught up in it. If somebody has some wrong relationship, they'll bring the person home, introduce them to their parents. This is so and so. This is my boyfriend. And everybody will be quite comfortable with it. Now that is the rotten culture. Now if a person with iman, a person with akhlaq, a person with haya says astaghfirullah, says sis, how can this ever be? But for them this is this is part of life and it's norm. It's something that the, the question will be what's wrong with it? Now unfortunately when we start 
allowing the ways of others to start mixing up in our lives. We don't oppose their ways, not oppose them as insan. As human beings, we'll treat them with, we'll respect every human being as a human being, and we'll treat them with kindness. It's our neighbor, we'll fulfill the rights of the neighbor. Somebody is dying of starvation, we won't ask, are you a Muslim or not a Muslim? We'll feed him first. Then we'll give him da'wah towards Islam as well. But we will fulfill our duties to humanity. But when it comes to people's ways, their customs, when it comes to their lifestyle, when it comes to the way that they conduct themselves, then Nabi Islam gave us the lesson on Ashura in particular, and on many, many other occasions, Khaliful Yahud, Khaliful Yahud al Nasara. So this Mukhalifat, this opposing the ways of the Yahud and Nasara, this is a thing that we have to adopt. This is a thing we have to become very firm about. And this is a flood of reneging. Reneging meaning one is the worst kind of reneging. Reneging leaving the fold of Islam. Where people, Nauzubillah, are becoming murtad openly. Person was a Muslim and he's saying now, Nauzubillah, he's no more Muslim. He's saying now he's become whatever, something else. But besides that, there's another level of reneging. This is what Hazrat Mawlana Abul Hassan Ali Nadwi Rahmatullah in one, he wrote a book, Riddatun Wala Aba Bakrin Laha. Riddatun Wala Aba Bakrin Laha. That there's a tide of reneging, but there's no Abu Bakr. What is this, is he referring to? When, after Rasulullah Sallallahu passed away, there were some tribes on the, far away from Madinah Munawwara, these people, many of them had just come into Islam on the surface. They had not come into Islam in reality. Many of them. Some got caught up in the tide, but many of them had not come in total. They were on the surface. And when Nabi Wasallam passed away, many of them reneged. Some refused to give zakat. Some had some other issues that they are not going to fulfill this and that. Now when all this came up, Hazrat Abu Bakr he immediately made the declaration of waging jihad against all these people who had reneged, who had gone out, who had now reversed and moved back to their old ways. So when Hazrat Abu Bakr who made this declaration and announced that we are going to now wage jihad against them, so many Sahaba came and gave their view that this is a very critical time. In Madinah Munawwara, the matter is very sensitive. Rasulullah has just departed from the dunya and all the enemies are now eyeing Madinah Munawwara with a very, very evil eye that they are trying to find some opportunity to pounce on the Muslims. So this is not the time now to send these Jamaats out and these armies out because when Madina Munawwara will be vulnerable. So it's a matter of now prioritizing. They felt the priority was now to just be in Madina Munawwara and to guard and protect Madina Munawwara. Abu Bakr at that time was very firm that this army must go out. Hazrat Umar who finally came and he also gave a similar view that right now things are very sensitive 
we should rather just keep the people in Madinah Munawwara and consolidate things here. At that time, Hazrat Umar Abu Bakr became very upset at this and he hit Hazrat Umar on the chest with force and he said to him, Jabbarun fil jahiliya wa khawwarun fil Islam Were you a mighty person in the times of jahiliya and you have become a coward now in Islam? And then he said, if nobody goes, I will go alone. I will go alone and I will fight these people who have now reneged alone. And he drew out his sword and he started even moving. Hazrat Umar then said to him, we are with you, please, shim seifak. Put your sword back into your sheath and you remain calm, we are going. So in any case, finally these armies left and with the barakat of this firm stance that Abu Bakr took, in a short while, many of the people had now realized their folly and they came back into Islam and those who were bent on that way, they were dealt with. But this saved great many people from heading headlong towards the fire of Jahannam. Now this was the firmness of Abu Bakr One man turned the entire tide. And this is what Mawla Abul Hassan Ali Nadiwi is referring to, that there is a flood of reneging taking place, but there is no Abu Bakr standing in its way, and no Abu Bakr to turn the tide. And what is the reneging he is talking about? One is the reneging and turning away from faith and from Islam, which we discussed, when Auzubillah people are going out of Iman itself. Then there are some who are, still outwardly committed to all the aspects of deen. The person is performing salah, the person is giving zakat, the person is going for hajj and umrah, the person is giving charity, and all the other things, the person is making tilawat of the Quran Sharif, whatever else. But the mindset has reneged. The heart of the person in very various aspects of deen has reneged. So the person is calling himself a very good Muslim, but his heart and mind is somewhere else. Like we discussed last week, that on the one side, Nabi Islam says, Tazawwajul wadud al-walud, fa'inni mukathirun bikumul umama yawm al-qiyama. That Nabi Islam is giving the ummat targheeb, and giving them encouragement, that marry such woman who will bear many children. Marry such woman who will bear many children. Because, I will be boasting about the numbers of my Ummah on the day of Qiyamah by means of the great number of Ummatis I will have. So Nabi Islam is giving the encouragement on the one hand for people to have many children. Now that is the way Nabi Islam is teaching. If somebody has one child, somebody has two children, somebody has three, that's in its place. It's not far as and wajib. And whatever Allah Ta'ala will bless them with. But what we're talking about is a mindset. Now how many people look down upon this? How many people who are Muslims look down upon this that if somebody has many children, they look at it as very strange. And look down upon it, Nauzubillah. And you'll get those who will criticize it as well. Now how far away this has gone from the way that Islam has taught. Now this is that reneging of the mind. 
As we said, somebody has two children, somebody has three children, that's all in his place up to them. But the mind and heart way it has gone. That what Nabi Islam has taught something, and somebody is gone on a completely opposite tangent. Then you'll get those, for example, in the business world, where you'll get a Muslim, he is performing his five times salah, he is fasting in the month of Ramadan, come the day of Ashura, he'll be fasting also, he's keeping Nafil fast as well, he's making tilawat of the Quran Sharif, but then you'll hear suddenly the person will blurt something, and he'll be saying, but how can you conduct business without getting involved with the banks, and taking overdrafts and so on. Now the person is saying, it can't be done, it's impossible in this time and age. Na'uzubillah, what he is saying is, that Allah Ta'ala put such a command, which is not, which is na'uzubillah, not practical. Allah Ta'ala na'uzubillah didn't know that a time will come in the 20th century where people won't be able to conduct their businesses without getting involved in interest and riba. Now what a terrible statement this is. What a very very dangerous statement this is. Now the person is performing salah, the person is regarding himself as a good Muslim, he's making hajj and umrah every year or whatever it may be. But despite all that, the person's mind is half and half. And he's got very dangerous things in his mind. He's saying, Na'uzubillah, that how can you ever conduct business in this time and age without getting involved in interest and interest transactions? Then you'll get somebody who will say, that what is all this parda about? This, is killed all our, this has killed all our fun. And then he's breaking our families. Now, cousins and all, you must make parda from, and brother-in-laws and all this parda. Where did this come from? This is, this, this can't be, this is something which doesn't belong here. Na'uzubillah min zalik. Now the mindset, one is somebody is not practicing on something and they genuinely regard it deep in their hearts as what I am doing is a sin, it's wrong and the person is regretting it and regarding it as their weakness then inshallah there is a great hope the tawfiq will come to rectify it. The tawfiq will come to now move away from the wrong. But how many regard it as something wrong if a person wants to start adopting parda? They regard it as wrong if a person wants to start acting on the laws of deen regarding the aspect of parda. Now somebody decides from now, I'm not going to be talking to my cousins, my brother-in-laws, my uncles who are not my direct uncles. One is the uncle who is the father's brother, the mother's brother. The other is what we call uncle the khala's husband or the father's sister's husband now these are not mahrams so somebody decides now and makes it clear that now I am not going to be intermingling with these people I am not going to be uh, coming in front of them as such without any genuine uh, need and reason so I am going to be adopting this parda how many people criticize this unfortunately how many people regard this as now a wrong move? Na'uzubillah. Now where has this come from? Because we didn't act on wakhaliful yahud that opposed the way of the Jews. So now we took it, we took certain things in our actions, we took certain things in our, uh, the way we conduct our functions, the way we conduct our occasions. And then the biggest problem was we took some things in our heart and mind. Our mind changed, if not on everything, on some very, very important things, some very basic things, some fundamental things. Now imagine a person criticizing the aspect of parda. 
somebody criticizing the aspect of not intermingling males and females. Whereas in the Quran Sharif, Allah Ta'ala is saying, وَإِذَا سَأَلْتُمُوهُنَّ مَتَاعًا فَاسْأَلُوهُنَّ مِنْ وَرَاءِ حِجَابٍ That Nabi Allah Ta'ala is addressing the sahaba kiram That if you have to ask of something from the azwaj mutahharat the mothers of the Ummah, then you will do so from behind this veil, from behind this curtain. So if parda was necessary for them, who are we? In this time and age of fitna, if parda was something that Allah Ta'ala made, put upon them, then this is one billion times more applicable to us. And now you'll get somebody criticizing it, somebody making fun of it. So all this unfortunately is the aspect of the mind reneging. And this is a very dangerous thing. And this is what is being called for where Hazrat Ma Abul Hassan Ali Nadwi Rahmatullah titled this book Riddatun Wala Abu Bakrin Laha. What he is asking for is that where are the Abu Bakrs? Let us create some Abu Bakrs. The Abu Bakr here is the concept. It's not the person or that Abu Bakr Lan was a male, so it will be a male only. But the concept, meaning his stance, his position that he took, where the people who are going to take that position, that they will sometimes face some kind of opposition, but they will remain firm. And they will remain firm knowing full well that tomorrow Allah Ta'ala is going to reward them. In dunya also they will get the benefits of it. In dunya also Allah Ta'ala will give them izzat, give them afiyat, give them peace, give them that serenity in their hearts that they won't want any artificial entertainment to entertain themselves. Then they will see things in reality. They will see things for what they are. They will know the reality of where the fragrance is and where the odor is. Like that incident we discussed of Mona Rum, Rahmatullahi, that person who passed by the Itar shop and he collapsed and then somebody brought that little bit of filth and brought it close to his nose and he came back. So everybody was amazed what kind of magic medicine this is. He said, no, well this person, he smells as old as all the time, this filth. So as a result, he couldn't handle the ether. He collapsed when he passed by the ether shop. So now when I brought the stool, little bit of it in my sleeve and put it by his nose, then that filth, filthy smell brought him back. So now the person is totally immersed in filth. He cannot see, cannot appreciate, cannot understand the ether. The beautiful ether of oud and musk and amber and he has no appreciation for it. He has no understanding of it. It is something he can't handle because he's so steep, steeped in the muck, in the filth. But now, when the person has cleared himself of that, by making mukhalifat, by opposing the way of the Yahud and Nasara, so their filth now has come out. When their filth has come out, now we'll start appreciating the value of the sunnat. And then he'll get that serenity in his heart, that peace, where no artificial entertainment will be required to give the person peace and happiness. Everybody is looking for artificial entertainment. And then that becomes haram entertainment. Why? Because we didn't know, we don't, we don't have that which is the pure things. The love of Allah Ta'ala hasn't settled in our hearts completely. And we haven't made that little mujahada to get it also. Illa mashallah. But when we will do that, inshallah, then we will not need this artificial entertainment. 
and this haram entertainment, all this chatting to keep ourselves occupied, and getting ourselves involved in this chatting, which is taking us to great amount of destruction, and all the other things that go along with it. So what is required is to take this lesson very deeply into our lives. This lesson of Sumu Ashura wa Khaliful Yahud that fast on the day of Ashura but oppose the ways of the Yahud and Nasara. Don't get caught up in their ways. Because their ways has got nothing to offer for us. It is a way of destruction. It is a way of restlessness. It is a way of great amount of anxiety and all kinds of disaster that comes along with it, it cannot give anybody any peace, any happiness, any serenity, any joy, nothing of the sort. It's just a deception. It is just a deception. Outwardly it seems that there's a lot of good in it, there's a lot of joy and fun in it, but get into it and see the everlasting abyss that a person keeps falling into. Unless he takes the help from somebody and comes out. So we need to turn back to the sunnah, turn to the way of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa and turn to the Qur'an Sharif and come back, inshallah, when we will hold on to this firmly, then inshallah we'll see how life will become such a pleasure. The challenges of life are challenges of life, that's dunya. Dunya is not jannat, but despite the challenges of life, a person's heart will be at ease, a person will be in peace, a person will not be in a state of bewilderment, anxiety, one minute on a high, then suddenly crashing down on a low, and then the person is just in this, swaying from one direction to the other, this is all because of not being stable on deen. So now the person is not here, not there. So now there's an artificial high, then there's a terrible crash, because artificial. So the person took something to give that artificial high. Now some people take drugs, other people use illicit relationships for that artificial high. Now that one minute a person is on a high, then something, then the person is crashing down, and it's up and down, as a result the person becomes a nervous wreck, and life is now in a, now somebody is contemplating suicide, Allah Ta'ala forbid, all these things carry on. So what we need to do is, come back onto the way of the Quran and the Sunnah of Rasulullah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, and hold on to the way of our Kabir and Ahlullah, and inshallah we will see how this will take us to the right path and take us to the path of Jannat and it will make our dunya also Jannat obviously in the context of dunya where there will be peace, there will be serenity and the real Jannat of the Akhirat we will get as well Allah Ta'ala give us tawfiq wa akhiru da'wana alhamdulillahi rabbil alameen Allahumma laka alhamdu kulluhu wa laka shukru kulluhu Allahumma la nuhsi thana'an alayk anta kama athnayta ala nafsik jazallahu anna nabiyyana muhammadan sallallahu alayhi wa sallam bima huwa ahlu اللهم إنا نسألك من خير ما سألك منه نبيك وحبيبك سيدنا محمد صلى الله عليه وسلم ونعوذ بك من شر ما استعاذك منه نبيك وحبيبك سيدنا محمد صلى الله عليه وسلم أنت المستعان وعليك البلاغ ولا حول ولا قوة إلا بالله العلي العظيم ربنا تقبل منا إنك أنت السميع العليم وتب علينا يا مولانا إنك أنت التواب الرحيم وصلى الله تعالى على خير خلقه سيدنا محمد وآله وصحبه معين والحمد لله رب العالمين